Good evening and welcome to Pop Culture Double Date. Um, we haven't podcasted for a while, but, you know, like movies are slowly coming back. So we thought tonight we would all get together and talk about Wonder Woman 84, WW84. Um, I'm joined tonight by the usual crew, Gerald, Anija, and Maggie. Say hello, everyone. Hello. Hi. Hello, everyone. Um, yeah, and yeah, we're going to talk about Wonder Woman 84. We all managed to watch it one way or the other. Um, yeah, so this is going to be a full spoilers podcast, so you've been warned. Um, either watch the film before you <laughs> listen to us, or um, if you don't care about spoilers, then listen ahead. So let's start, as usual, by going around and giving our kind of impressions of Wonder Woman 84. Um, I know that we've done a podcast previously about the original, well, when I say the original Wonder Woman, the last Wonder Woman that was with Gal Gadot. And I think generally, I thought uh, we liked the film. I I know that on a second viewing, um, not all of us were as enamored with it as um, the first viewing. But I think generally, I think we thought Wonder Woman, the original Gal Gadot film was a pretty solid film so I'm very interested tonight in seeing what everyone thought of the follow-up to this um who would like to start or should I start thoughts I think you should start you haven't started in a while Darren okay oh when I start like so I found this to be a really how should I put this like (laughs) I've wanted to like this film, (laughs) and I think there is a lot to like with this film in terms of, I think the film has a pretty interesting heart, right? But this film is so... It's so confounding in some ways, because the plot is just all over the place so overall like my impression is that I do not think this is a very good film I think this is a film that is about something but the way they have actually put it all together has made it a bit of a confusing mess so what what do I mean by that so I think everyone around this table basically knows that I enjoy films that have um strong themes. I I enjoy films that are actually about something rather than just the plot, right? Um, I've said this multiple times in the past. And I I think, to its credit, I think Wonder Woman 84 strives to be about something that is more than its plot. I think it has this theme of, like, it explores human desire, I think, right? It, It attempts to explore human desire, and I think it does so in a fairly interesting sort of way because it explores human desire on a personal level with um, Diana herself, Wonder Woman, um, Barbara who is Kirsten Wig, who plays Cheetah or like Barbara Minerva or whoever like she plays like a colleague of Wonder Woman who ends up being kind of like a villain-ish I guess. And then it also explores desire with um, the main villain who is Maxwell Lord, right? And I think it explores desire in an interesting way because um, 
you know, the film opens and you have this sort of scene where a very young Diana is so motivated and so desperately wants to win this race, right? But she basically is on the verge of winning this race, but she's kind of cheated in order to win the race. She's taken a shortcut. And um, Robin Wright, Robin Wright, who is kind of her, um, I can't remember the Amazon she plays, is it Penthesilia? Or I, I can't remember, whatever the, the character that Robin Wright plays. Um, she sort of stops um, Diana from completing the race and basically says to her that she hasn't really earned the right to achieve, to sort of satisfy her desire yet, right? She hasn't earned the right to win this race. And I thought that was like a really interesting way to start the film. And I thought it actually, thematically, that opening really gels well with a lot of the sort of discussion of desire later in the film, right? Because this idea of, well, um, you know, that to achieve your desire, like what lengths are you willing to go to achieve your desires? Like, is it right to do it through sort of shortcuts or is it actually in order to actually achieve your desires, is it, do you actually have to do hard work and all this type of stuff? Right? So they discuss this because the core premise of this film is that there is this like wishing stone thing that um, they find and it's got sort of these powers that can grant anyone their wish basically instantaneously. But in doing so, there's always a catch, right? So it's they keep call, talking about it like there's, it's a monkey's paw. So there's this catch that, you know, it, the wishing stone will take someone something away from you. So the core premise of this film is basically that the main villain, Maxwell Lord, Max Lord, I think, who's played by Pedro Pascal, um, he wants to get his hand on the stone, and then he basically wishes that he is the stone, so he starts giving people wishes, but he starts taking stuff from them in exchange, right? But linked to this uh, whole sort of wishing thing is that, like, Diana's wish, basically, is to bring Steve Trevor back from the dead. And, um, but in doing so, she has to sacrifice some element of her own power, right? Like, her, she gives away what is most kind of valuable to her, which I think is her ability to be a hero, right? Her strength and... Um, speed and like invincibility and that sort of stuff the stuff that allows her to do good for the world sort of thing right so in like I think like and we can just discuss, discuss this later but you have three different characters with sort of different desires and the film kind of does talk about well you know you know are their desires kind of um, warranted and what, what lengths are they kind of willing to go to, go to in order to achieve those desires, right? I thought that exploration of personal desire was kind of interesting, and I thought that overall this film also explored desire on a more societal level, and I thought that was kind of interesting as well, right? So the film also explores this idea of, oh, well, if everybody in the world suddenly gets their wish, like... what is the outcome of that, right? Is that actually a utopia, or is it like a complete... An state of anarchy. Um, we, I mean, it becomes a complete state of anarchy, right? So I thought they had these interesting concepts that were kind of like rolling around in there, right? 
The problem, in my mind, with this film is that it is packaged in this plot that just escalates and becomes completely nonsensical. So the plot itself actually does a lot to undermine these themes, right? So at the heart of it, I feel like the writers actually had these ideas that they kind of want to explore. But then the plot, the framework that they've used around this, it just, it just doesn't work. It goes completely off the rails. Like, basically this whole wishing stone story, the plot just escalates to a position where the ridiculousness of this premise of, like, this guy touching you and instantly giving you a wish and then, like, the ridiculousness of of this premise just gets exposed really quickly because everything escalates to a point which is, like, so outrageous, right? And at the climax of the film, essentially, right, the main villain, Max Lord... He, his plan is basically to use TV to touch people in inverted commas and then grant everyone their wish. You're kind of there going, what, what are you guys, what? Like, what is, this plan is so bizarre and ridiculous, right? And so Max Lord actually goes from a somewhat, like, he is, he's like a vain individual and, you know, he's desperate for adulation and uh, validation. But, like, he's not a horrible person at the beginning of the film, but he goes full crazy psycho person by the end of it, and then he immediately snaps back into reasonable person who loves his child. It, and it, it's so, like, disjointed and confusing, right? Um, and then added to this is that with all this wishing stone that stuff that's going around, there are significant global... Eff- like, Russians and Americans start launching nuclear weapons at each other, and these are like significant world events that happen in the course of this story, and they're just glazed. Like the way this film resolves is just like, oh, forget about it. They all the nuclear bombs just disappeared. Like it's fine, it, and it's just like, what are you talking about? Society has basically by the end of the film broken down, completely broken down, and there's nuclear weapons flying around, and because basically everybody for whatever reason has simultaneously achieved their wish. And then the resolution of the film is just like, Max Lord goes and hugs his kid, and it's done. Don't worry about it. Everything resets. But it hasn't really reset, because you look around, and there's still sort of anarchy in the streets. So, I I found this to be such a bizarre film, right? Like, that central plotline, it just completely didn't work for me, right? So, it's a film where I actually thought it started pretty well, and by the end of it, because by dint of this crazy plot, it just went completely off the rails. Um, I think the other thing that I have a real issue with this film um, is that it's really long, and there are lots of extraneous scenes that add essentially nothing to the film, and yeah, they actually, well, actually, in my opinion, they make the film worse, right? So, three scenes that I think are super extraneous are, there's a scene where Wonder Woman goes flying with Steve Trevor in an invisible plane, and it's a scene that absolutely doesn't make sense and is completely useless, right? There's a whole scene when Wonder Woman goes and sources this dumb armor of Asteria, and it's completely useless and adds nothing to the film whatsoever. And then finally... You've got this whole, like, scene where Kirsten Wiig's character turns into, like, a literal cheater <laughs> to fight Wonder Woman, and it just 
there's no reason for this to happen. It's just bizarre. And they just have fisticuffs. And Wonder Woman beats her up. That's it. Like, it's... This is such a film where I feel like the bones of it had such potential. And for whatever reason, when they executed, that it just, by the end of the film, it feels like this botched mess of a plot. So, as a result, sorry, I kind of rambled on a little bit there, but as a result, I do not think this was a very good film. But basically, there's a part of me that wants to wants to like it, despite knowing that it's a bad film, simply because I think at the heart of the film, the film has a good heart, if that makes sense. Anyway, that's, that's my initial thoughts, and we can delve into those later. So, um, who... Who wants to go next? Agree with me? Disagree with me? Thoughts? Who, who wants to shoot next? Um, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll... No, Matt, go ahead. We'll... Oh, sorry. Oh, oh okay. I'll, I'll be quick. I'll be quick. Um, and then I'll, I'll leave the rest to, to you, <laughs> you and Anita, Gerald. Um, so, Darren, I completely agree with you. Um, I really wanted to love it. I really enjoyed the origin story, and I've actually watched it again several times myself. I think Gal Gadot is an incredibly believable, likable um, Wonder Woman and a very strong character, Um, and I really enjoyed her relationship with Steve in the first movie. So seeing the trailers and the little sort of um, clips that have been playing on YouTube, I was really looking forward to seeing how they bring him back and revive that relationship that she has with him um so there were lots of um the fact it was set in the 80s as well i love movies in the 80s um i love series which are set in the 80s like um uh, stranger things um will have that sort of 80s vibe um so i was really looking forward to it um but when i watched it completely agree with all the points that you've made i was really disappointed with the plot which i felt was just non-existent i think the movie went for too long because of ridiculous scenes like the um flying in the air fourth of july fireworks scene also why the fourth of july because they never looked at it ever again it was just there for the fireworks there was no relevance to the plot at all um uh, very little character development which i thought was really disappointing that was one of the things i really enjoyed about wonder woman one in that it was sort of drawn in by the characters um i thought they didn't play up the 80s context at all so there were moments where they tried like at the beginning um in the mall when you were sort of introduced to wonder woman and how she um, interacts with her world in the 1980s and then that there was this one scene of when steve came back and he was wearing the different clothes. But I felt like that was quite superficial. There was so much more that they could have used, but they never really went into. Um, and then the themes that you talked about, about, you know, selfishness, selflessness, um, this idea of, you know, what happens when someone has been knocked around by society or forgotten, and then how they choose to true react, that was something really interesting that they could have really worked on and built and talked about, I suppose, the values that um, underpin a character like Wonder Woman, but they didn't really do that in any depth, which I thought was very disappointing, and they didn't use the cast members, Pedro Pascal and 
um, Kirsten Wig enough. Both of them who are fantastic comedic actors as well as um, with Pedro Pascal um, in particular, um, a dramatic actor. I thought that, that they were severely underused. And yeah, I completely agree. The change of um, Kirsten Wig into Cheetah was just so unnecessary. There was so much more they could have done to explore her character in particular when she became a stronger woman after she had wished, you know, to have, um, to almost, you know, be Diana, um, but, you know, kind of distilling her down into this um, two-dimensional cartoon character at the end where it wasn't even her acting, really. It was a CG image fighting this um, Wonder Woman in the Asteria armour, which didn't seem to protect her at all in any case. Um, seemed a bit irrelevant. So by the end, it, um, it was at that point in the movie where I think I switched off and started looking at my phone, which is a bit disappointing. Yeah, yeah. Jerry, do you want to shoot next? Yeah, sure. Um, there's there's an emerging internet consensus that this movie is an unmitigated disaster. I'm not sure I agree with that, but it ain't great. Um, and for all the flaws of the third act of the last film, I think it is vastly superior to this one, even though that movie is not as good as the internet says it is. So like like both of you, Darren and Maggie, I think this movie was an incoherent mess. Um, the, the movie feels both too long and too short, too long. It's plainly too long. It's got a runtime of over two hours and 20 minutes, but there's so much that's sought to be stuffed into this movie that nothing actually is developed. Uh, there are there is a trend now in superhero movies that um, the hero of the piece has to confront multiple adversaries. So um, and so we have both Cheetah and Maxwell Lord in this film. But there are movies that do that sort of thing well, like The Dark Knight, which had Joker and Two Face, and movies that do that really badly, like Spider-Man Three. I think this falls within the latter camp. Yeah, it's it's a movie that 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 throws up that bowls up two adversaries uh, for Wonder Woman, and there's a fair amount of time devoted to Maxwell Lord, even though I think his character is drawn in such broad strokes that one wonders why um, so much time was devoted to um, sketching his still underdeveloped relationship with his son. Or the, the 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 troubles of the Ponzi scheme that he that he is running but failing to to succeed with. Um, so there's a lot of time devoted to him and not much time devoted to Barbara Minerva and her shift to Cheetah. And when she goes bad, it's a really sudden shift. And I know the film tries to explain it away by saying, well, you know, she she she's made a wish, um, and her humanity is being drained away from her in the process. But I'm sorry, but even 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 if you were to accept that as a as a proposition, the shift in her character happens so quickly, and she ends up in a place so far from where she began in the movie that it's just unbelievable. And in the case of Max Lord, yes, you know, there's time devoted to him, but there's a great gaping hole in his character and that is what exactly is the end game of his plan so he 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 wishes he, he, 
he wishes to become the Dreamstone. He becomes the Dreamstone. Then he goes about sort of broadcasting himself to every eyeball on the planet in the hope that the particles that, that emerge out of everyone's yeah, teeth... so stupid. Practice. Such a stupid but, but premise. Yeah. He's granted everyone a wish. Like, what then? Like, what's his actual plan? What's his plan? Yeah. Is, is yeah. it world domination? Like, is he going to control the world? Well, maybe not. He has because... no plan. This is the thing. Exactly. Exactly. This is this is exactly what I was like. One hundred percent agree, Jerry. Because, like, the film escalates to this point, and you're like, why? Why is this happening? I thought he just wanted the oil, so his company didn't go under. Why is he all of a sudden going like completely bats so nuts? Yeah. Like what? Like, he can only grant one wish to people. So once he's granted everyone on the planet a wish, like. What then? What 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 is the object of this entire exercise? And it's it's not clear at all. So um, so there's this great gaping logical hole in his character that's never filled in, and he is so he he is so inattentive to his son's emotional needs for much of the runtime that when finally he detects that his son is in peril, that is what that is what causes him to renounce his wish. I'm sorry, but like. That is as ridiculous a turn as the infamous Martha scene in Batman vs Superman. Yeah, it's. So, I, I just I just didn't buy that at all, and I've got to say, a, a lot of critics have have noted that there's actually not very much action in this movie. In fact, there's not very much Wonder Woman in this movie. Look, I don't need a, a lot of action in, in in a movie like this, um, but the action has to be well done. And yes, the, the scene in Themyscira, yeah, it was okay. But what I noted about the, this movie was that the CGI was surprisingly bad. It's really, really spotty. So in the first action scene in the mall, which is less CGI dependent, you can actually kind of, even though you can't see the wires for the wire work, like it's it's very obvious that, that Gal Gadot is being suspended on a, on a, on a series of wires as this shoot is happening and it just looks a bit it looks a bit rough and i know there are some who say well you know this is a tribute to the slightly cheesy action scenes of yes, the 80s yes but yeah. like uh, i don't know about that i think it's a step back from the last film because we all like the standout action scenes from the last film are vastly superior to the action scenes of this movie i mean the scene in which in the original film wonder woman saves the the, the villages that are being bombarded by the germans that's an incredible action sequence and there's nothing that comes remotely close to it in this movie and and one struggles to understand why so jerry can can i just add something to what you just said there right so what you just said about how that opening action scene is a bit goofy right because and you said that some people have said that it it relates to the 1980s right 80s action film and when i watched this with mags 100%. 100%. I, I felt that, right? I felt like that opening action scene was intentionally goofy, right? There are elements of, like, almost like a Home Alone aspect to it, where the, the villains are kind of, like, almost slapsticky, right? But the issue that I think is the underlying problem is that if you are going to double down on that 80s aesthetic, this needs to happen throughout the film. You can't just have one scene that does it, and then everything else is, like, weird 2020 modern CG. It's bizarre, right? It's such a weird choice. So it's, it's, it's totally weird. And it, look, it just took me out of the movie because 
Um, as Maggie rightly observed, there's actually it's actually not clear why this movie is set in the eighties. Like, yeah. um, there are there are references to the funny clothes and the big hair, but like, there's there's very little. This movie could have been set in any time period. There's no actual reason why this had to be in the nineteen eighties. And so, I, I just thought, um, in light of that, the goofiness of the first action scene was all the more was all the more jarring and took me even further out of the experience of the film. Um, and, you know, the, the subsequent action scenes are just, are just nothing. Like, you know, the scene in the desert, like, there is, there's just nothing there. There's one very impressive shot of a truck flipping over and um, Wonder Woman emerging from behind it into the sky where she almost looks like a divinity appearing in the sky. But... Um, you know, that's probably the only memorable shot out of that entire sequence. And as you say, the, the final battle with Cheetah is just a complete incoherent mess. Obviously said night because the, the CGI uh, was rough. Um, and she basically looked like a character out of Cats. And, you know... Yeah, fast. <laughs> the, like, this movie was obviously very expensive, but it feels cheap. And I'll, I'll give you one final example of that. One of the... I don't think we're meant to to spot this, but one of the guys who plays the robbers in the mall in the first action sequence reappears as one of the ATO tax agents that Max Lord seeks upon his old business partner. Really? Is that true? Yeah, yeah, he's wearing he's wearing sunglasses or something to, to to disguise the fact that it's it's the same dude, but it's the same dude, and you're like. Right, so this movie just like the makers of this movie just couldn't be asked spending a bit of money for another actor to to play this sort of nothing role, basically an extra. And I just thought, well, that that, that says it all. That, that this was, in every sense, a bit of a half-assed effort. Mm. Interesting. I didn't know that. So that's that's real, is it? That that guy doubles up and rolls. Look, in this I, I I cannot be one hundred percent confident, and I certainly haven't sought confirmation on the internet. But there was one guy in that squad of tax agents, or ATO agents, not not ATO, but I'm sorry, RS but the, probably RS agents, yeah. who who is an absolute dead ringer for the oldest of the robbers, the guy with the grey hair. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I just thought to myself, and I thought I thought it was a plot point. I thought there was a reason why this guy was being brought back, <laughs> but obviously it wasn't. It was just that the makers of the movie couldn't be bothered, yeah. like spending money. Mm. Wow. Dodgy. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Look, I, I think I agree with what Gerald said there. I think we're in consensus on that. Um, Anija, do you do you feel differently? Do you love this film with all well, your heart, or? Well, walking around just to be defiant, trying to figure out a way that I could deliver this like crushing defense. Of Wonder Woman, you know, this like it was actually an amazing movie, and this is why. But I couldn't think of a single. I couldn't think of it for a reason. So I do, I do agree uh, with everything that you guys have said. Um, I also agree that that stupid invisible plane fireworks scene was really boring. Like Sydney has better fireworks. Every <laughs> we didn't need to see those lame fireworks from the plane. I don't understand. Um, I look, look. The plot was really slipshod, right? Because 
You know, it is an interesting theme. Do we all take more than we should take from the world just because we want it? But this theme was not properly delivered and it wasn't consistently delivered through the movie. So, for example, that message at the beginning that you shouldn't cheat just to get what you want really has nothing to do with the idea of, you know, taking what we want because we want it. Like, that's not cheating. That's just taking more resources than we really need from the world and that has consequences. But it's really a different thing from taking shortcuts and cheating, you know. So it wasn't a consistent, coherent message and it wasn't one that was properly developed. It was very slipshod. And so does the movie have a good heart? I don't know. Can you take big, important messages and deliver them in this really slipshod, unthought-out way and say that you've got a good heart? I kind of think maybe not, you know. Like maybe you maybe you owe – if you're going to deal with – a big message and you're going to reach millions, maybe you owe it to the message to think it out just a little bit more than you have. Um, so, you know, in terms of the villain not having like a big plan, I was okay with that because I think the villain, Max, whatever, is, um, what's his surname? Max, Lord. Max Lord is just a metaphor for the rest of the world in this particular movie where he just wants more for the sake of wanting more. Just like many of us really are just sort of, you know, climbing that ladder, trying to just get more stuff for us because we think that's the best thing to do without any of us really having any kind of master plan for world, you know, domination or anything. We just do it because it's what we've been programmed to do, what we think is the right thing to do and that's what I think he's pretty clear that that's what he's doing and so I was fine with him not having a plan I, I thought he was just meant to be a metaphor for us and that was fine too but it was just such a underdeveloped message and the way that Diana deals with it at the end by speaking to all of us saying you know yes. don't don't yeah. take so much without seeing the cost it has it's just so cheesy like diana no you haven't earned the right to morally lecture me just yet okay no right no so that was gross anyway so i agree with all of you on everything you've said it was there was a lot of boring moments um the action wasn't as good as it could be um i'm really sick of seeing her slow-mo running it is not a good look okay it looks really bad to see her like really sprayed up hair moving in the wind in these locks while she runs it just doesn't look good I don't want to be her in that moment like it's just don't like it but all of that aside the only thing I really want to contribute to what you guys have said is a really unpopular opinion that is not shared I think by certainly anybody that I've heard talk about this movie there may be people in the internet who think this and I think that they're not well liked so here is the view I think Gal Gadot is a terrible actor and I think she does a terrible job of portraying Diana and Wonder Woman I think she's incapable of emoting I just don't think she can act emotions it comes across really stunted and as though she is putting on a year 12 play. I think she's very, you know, physically, physically does she embody Diana? Sure. Like, why not? Why not? Right? Like, sure. But she, she's a bad actor. And it is really kind of like for, to have a bad actor in the main role, everything else has to be really good to make up for it. And everything wasn't really good. Now, 
can we survive with a bad actor? Do I want to see anybody else? I don't really want to see anybody else in that role because now when I close my eyes and I think of Wonder Woman, I see her face and I don't want to see another face. And I, I know I think we can work with this because maybe we could see it as, you know, Diana is not human. So maybe she shouldn't emote like a human. You know, she's half God. She's the daughter of Zeus. She was raised by an army of women, uh, warriors, who've never interacted with anyone but, you know, other people like themselves who are basically immortal. So maybe she shouldn't emote emotions like the rest of us. And, you know, maybe that is exactly what a half God warrior woman would be like. So I can kind of tell myself that. And <laughs> but the truth is, I, I don't think she's a good actor and I don't understand why everybody says she's great. I don't see it. Of course, I would want to see it if it was true, if I thought it was true. I want her to be good, but I don't think she is. I don't think she was good in Fast and the Furious. I don't think she's good here. I love her, her, her the iconology. Like I, I love the posters with her in it, but I just think she's a very poor actor. So you put a poor actor with a poor plot with quite poor action scenes with only a few good highlights, poor CGI, what do you get? Like you get the, the, the mess that we've kind of been given and you get the slayings that this movie's been, you know, granted. So those are my thoughts. Hmm. Interesting. So look, to the let's have a chat about Gal Gadot, right? Because I look, I don't think she's a great actor, right? Um <laughs> I agree with you, Anja, that, like, visually, she, like, she's Wonder Woman visually, for sure, right? Like, um, but I, I guess, like, what, like, to what I liked about this film, like, for me, the redeeming feature of this film is that I actually really enjoy the interaction between Gal Gadot and, um, Chris Pine, right? I, I actually really enjoy the relationship between, um, Steve and Diana, um, I think it gives heart to this film, essentially, right? Because I think there is, in their relationship, I think is the dichotomy that is set up between selfless desire, which I guess is love, and um, selfish desire, which is kind of what Maxwell Lord and, like, I guess the wish stone kind of represents, right? So I, I thought, and to be honest, I actually... Generally, I enjoyed the scenes. Like, as clumsy as the action was, I generally enjoyed the scenes, even the action scenes, that Diana and Steve were in together, right? With the exception of the invisible plane scene, because I thought the invisible plane scene was so horrible. Like, it was just completely unnecessary and, like, ham-fisted the way they did that scene, right? But And we can talk about that later, because I do want to talk about that scene, because I hate it with a passion as, Sorry. As the scenes between Gal Gadot and Chris Pine work because they're coasting off Christopher, Chris Pine's charm is, is he carrying is he carrying Gal Gadot in those scenes do you think I don't know I just know they work right it, it's hard for me to say who's carrying who right but like I definitely know well, and I look I definitely feel like she plays the straight man right like his, like, I mean, look, I think those scenes for me also work within the context of the previous film, because the previous film, they have similar scenes where she's the fish out of water. And in this this film, you have, like, it's kind of the reversal of that, right? So when you put this as, like, a follow-up to the previous film, there is that sort of 
the whimsy of, oh, the roles have reversed, that sort of thing, right? So I, I think that adds to the reason why a lot of those scenes land for me. Um, but yeah, I, I guess the thing is that, like, her acting was not so horrible for me to go, oh, actually, that relationship is completely unbelievable. And whether that is just because Chris Pine is charismatic or whether, like, the two of them actually whether the two of them actually just have natural chemistry and so she doesn't really need to work that hard as an actor. Um, but I, I guess for me, like, she's not a great actor, but she, for me, she's enough because in those crucial emotional scenes with Steve, I'm okay with it, right? I'm, I'm bought into it as much as I would be in any superhero film. That's, that's kind of... I don't know if you guys agree with that or not. Yeah. I think... Um... They just have really good chemistry with one another as well. Like the two of them, I think that it was well cast if you're looking at the relationship, you know, between you need some two actors who play off one another really well and they they support one another. I think like I I personally think she's a fantastic Wonder Woman, but would she ever would she be able to step into a more dramatic role outside of Wonder Woman? I mean, I haven't seen her in the Fast and the Furious, so the only role I've really seen her in is as <laughs> Well, Gerald like... would disagree, but, like, I'm not <laughs> sure you really need strong dramatic chops for Fast and the Furious, but I don't, but... sorry, I may have offended Gerald just then. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I... The Fast and the Furious <laughs> represents the type of cinema. Yeah. Could she, could she act, you know, like, could she have played one of the roles in, say, Little Women? Uh, I'm not quite sure, uh, but she's convincing to me as, as Wonder Woman. Um, and, I mean, in, in, in terms of her... Her and Chris Pine, I think they just have great charisma together. What I want most for these movies is for Chris Pine to be like Kenny from South Park and to die in every single one. <laughs> <laughs> and then come back. Yeah, well, I think it's necessary because I, I genuinely think that the only reason why I have just sort of irrational fondness for, like, whatever goodwill I have for this film stems from the fact that I really enjoyed the Chris Pine, um, Gal Gadot sort of relationship, right? I, I thought it was kind of sweet. I, I thought it formed like an emotional core, like for the film. I thought it sort of distilled kind of, I think the core message that they wanted to have, which was the differentiation between selfless love and selfish desire. Like, um, yeah, so I hope he's back, because I guess the question is, if he's not... Look, it's an open question whether there'll be another Wonder Woman film after this one, but if he's not back, like, who is she going to play off? <laughs> like, I think a lot of this... a lot, Both movies depend, much more than I think we would care to admit, on the comedic chops of Chris Pine. We know from, like, the first half an hour of the original Star Wars, that he's, he's very good at these sort of goofball comedic roles. Star Trek. Um, Star Trek, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, Star Trek, yeah. yeah. So yeah. He's, 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 what he is is he's, he's an excellent sort of goofball character actor trapped in the body of a leading man. Mm. Um, mm. And so he brings, a lot of the, he brings a lot of the charm and the laughs and the whimsy uh, to this. To these movies, I, I don't think, for instance, as, as likable as Gal Gadot is as a, as a screen presence, I don't think she's got the same level of comedic chops as Chris Pine. Mm. And so, to the mm. extent that the movie wants to milk 
laughs out of the situations in which Wonder Woman finds herself. It's I think the movie, both movies are heavily dependent upon Chris Pine to deliver those laughs. Mm, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the other thing that I kind of think about in relation to this film is whether how much of this was, um, I guess, studio exec, uh, I guess, meddling, right? Because and this is just this is just pure theory, right? Like I, I don't have anything to back this up. But when I look at the key scenes, look, okay, look, the plot is all over the place, right? But then to add insult to injury, there are these scenes that just absolutely are out of place, add runtime to the film, and I think add nothing. And when I look at a lot of these scenes, the common thread that goes through them is some sort of I don't know, misguided sense of fan service or something like that. So, I mean, I think the primary culprit of this is that invisible plane scene, right? Like, that invisible plane scene, it comes out of nowhere. Like, it starts with Chris, like Steve Trevor, who is a World War One pilot. He's a World War One pilot, right? He flew, yeah. like, biplanes or something like that. Whatever it is, they flew in World War One who hops into a jet at the Smithsonian and is instantly able to figure out, commune with the inner workings of a jet plane and instantly figures out how to fly a jet, which is so ridiculous. Like, that just completely took me out of that scene. I was like, what are you guys talking about? How can this man instantly figure out how to fly a jet? It's insane. And then, as they fly off, in order to... to, like evade the radar Wonder Woman goes oh like my mum had this power to make stuff invisible so let me just try it now and I'll turn the plane invisible and she turns the plane invisible and you think to yourself what like why is this scene here it serves literally no purpose it's so out of place it like completely takes you out of the immersion of the film because all this stuff happens that is completely, like, unwarranted, right? And I think to myself, the only reason they had that scene is because they wanted to give fans the invisible plane. And I'm thinking to myself, but this is such a, like, like, so, but in doing that, you've basically created this 10-minute scene, which is complete, like, just actually contributes negative value to this film in order to provide this sort of really iffy bout of fan service, right? Another example of this, I think, is the whole... They wanted to have Linda Carter back at the end as Asteria. So they introduced this whole, like, armor of Asteria thing. You know, like, the dumb bird armor she goes in, right? Like, this is... And... Again, it's completely extraneous. There's there's no reason why this really has to be in the film. And in fact, it makes no sense that it's in the film because they discuss the armor of Asteria earlier in the film because Steve, like, Wonder Woman is like, oh, I'm losing my invincibility powers because I brought you back, Steve. So in order for me to fight Kirsten Wig, I'm going to need this armor to protect me when I fight her, right? But then... Basically, 
she makes a choice along with Steve that she's going to give Steve up in order to get her powers back because she's selfless and she like she like she's willing to put aside her personal sense of desire for Steve in order to do the selfless thing and so is he right great heroic act right so why does she need to now turn around and put on this dumb bird armor makes no sense and to add insult to injury she rocks up to this fight with cheetah with the bird armor and the bird armor does nothing like it does nothing it adds nothing to the entire fight right because cheetah just destroys the armor in like two seconds flat right she picks apart all the wings of the 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 feathers of the bird armor so again i'm thinking to myself why is that bird armor scene and the whole lead up to the bird armor even in this film unless it's some sort of misguided attempt at fan service because in the comics somewhere at some point they've had the armor of hysteria so let's include that so yeah uh, look does i think this movie has a funny relationship with wonder woman woman's powers generally um you'll notice for instance that she's almost entirely dependent up until the use of the golden eagle armor on the lasso of truth and her sword and shield are completely absent from this film and I don't understand why. Like, they were integral parts of the first film. I mean, the entire No Man's Land sequence of the first film depends on the use of the shield um, to deflect the um, the shots of the Germans. Um, and those two, you know, items in her, uh, in her armory are completely absent in this movie. It's the symbolism. So the, the sword and the shield represent the um, attacking Diana, the warrior, the hunter, the one that goes out and is kind of, a, like she makes the first, you know, makes the first move kind of person. And then the lasso is the one who is the lover, not the fighter, the person who defends, very defensive, like will only attack if attacked will try to save everybody's life if they're not truly bad. You know, that's why she won't let Steve use the sword against those people. So it's that's why they're not having the sword and the shield. But I think it's very inconsistent to have two movies in a row with the same actor playing the same character and then portray her in, like, completely opposite ways. Like, I know, I, th- I think in the comics, she's portrayed in, in those different ways, depending on the comic. But, like, these are two movies in a row with the same actor. You can't just make her a different person. Yeah. Yeah. Real discontinuity. I I, I do feel like, at the beginning of this film, because in that fight scene at the mall, she makes a point of not hurting anyone, right? So I think there does need to be... If... Look, it has been, like, however many years, like, almost 60, 70 years since between the first film and the second film, right? Technically, in the movie universe, there's... A significant amount of time has passed and she's lived in this world right so she may have like my sense was that she had lived in this world long enough to realize you know i can't actually just off people here right like these people so i was okay with a more compassionate diana but this was probably something that could have been better spelt out right because if you're going to make diana into a more empathetic person and she is a more empathetic person in this film because she you know she's able to connect with Kirsten Wiggs, Barbara, like Kirsten Wiggs' character, etc. You should have something her say, you know, I'm not actively using the sword anymore because, you know, I don't really want to kill people, right? And I'm strong enough that I don't have to do it, right? Like, you know, if this whole story is actually about how Diana is, like, if you think about it, a lot of this story is centered around how Diana has basically gotten to a stage in her career as a superhero that she 
like at the beginning of the film she's very strong she's comfortable in her career as a superhero essentially kind of I guess but she's comfortable with who she is as a person and she's made this choice that she wants to be more compassionate and doesn't want to kill people fine I get that right Um, but still like you know she can still kind of use the shield I guess she doesn't have to not use the shield Um, but didn't weren't those weapons destroyed though in her battle with um, I think the sword may have been actually I yeah. can't remember, I can't remember. But, like, regardless, it's it feels bizarre that... Like, I, I just... I mean, in a film that's two and a half hours long, right, which is bl- so bloated, you would have thought that the editorial choice would have been, you know what, we don't actually really need the fan service of this armour, because it adds nothing, right? It literally adds nothing, right? That's The armour contributes... doesn't contribute anything in her defeat of Cheetah. Right. Well, I mean, that fight in itself is a horrible fight that has no emotional punch whatsoever. But, um, yeah, the the whole armor thing doesn't really contribute to that whatsoever. So, again, I, I, I wonder to myself whether some executive is like, hey, you know what, you have to have the scene with the armor because we want to sell toys of Diana with the armor. And so they were like, okay, I guess I'll do the armor <laughs> and then I'll do a Linda Carter like cameo at the end or something like that, right? But it was just like so like haphazardly. Anyway, yeah. Well, I think part of the part of the motivation of the armor, I'm just speculating here, is also someone probably sat down, perhaps Patty, Jen- Patty Jenkins, and said, "Look, th- there's going to be this very intense fight at the end with Cheetah, and quite frankly, it looks ridiculous for um, Dinah Prince to be wearing a bustier and a miniskirt." Um, for for this fight, so we're just going to put her in something that seems a bit more sort of battle appropriate. But um, as you say, oh, it, but, it but, walking, no but walking, no, no, out, I, but walking out in no man's no, land, I agree, I agree. wearing the yeah, yeah. and the mini, I, I agree, very I, appropriate. No, I, I, I agree. It's you know, <laughs> it's appropriate. I think, I think the, 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 the costume is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, and and um, and it's it, it's sort of. It's no less ridiculous in this movie, despite. In fact, it's it's more ridiculous in this movie for the fact that it's not worn very often in in, in the movie at all. So when 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 she does bust out the the Wonder Woman uniform, you're like, mm, this this really does look a bit weird. Also, the Wonder Woman theme is amazing and so unutilized. <laughs> yes, in this agreed. Type. Yeah. 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 They kind of you kind of think that they're going to go into the full swell of that theme and then they never do it, right? You sort of hear the beginnings of it and then it's just like, oh, that was disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't actually go into the theme. Why? (laughs) Um, Yeah, like, because to add to this, right, like, I'm racking my brain as to why they even transformed Kirsten Wig into the dumb, like, cheetah animal, right? Like, because Gerald's right, she looks like a cat's reject. And you think about it, it's like, her story, like, whether she turns into the animal or not, there's a story, like, it doesn't really add to her story. Like, there's no emotional reason <laughs> why she turns into, into, the, into the cheetah. And in fact, like, her turning into the cheetah breaks the film's internal logic. Because technically, look, I mean, the whole Max... The whole Maxwell... Exactly, right? Why does she... Like, why can Maxwell Lord just turn around and be like, oh, you in particular, I'll give you two wishes. 
<laughs> just what? Why? Why? Why what? is that necessary? She was already as strong as her wish was to be as strong as Wonder Woman, and she really, was. She, she's already had, she's already had her wish, and she has no intention of renouncing it. So why then does she have to protect Max Lord? Um, because you know. Because if he's destroyed, well, they I also, mean, that's the second way that all the wishes go back. Well, if he's destroyed. They yeah, say that. Okay. Well, I mean, I still I still think the. I still think the the turn is is desperately rushed, and as 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 everyone's known, the there is a there is a there is this sort of grave illogicality about it. Not least because when she says when she says she wants to be an apex predator, cheetahs aren't really apex predators. I mean, they're, they're very fast. But <laughs> um, Andrew and I have actually been in a cage with a cheetah, and the thing is, they're kind of big scaredy cats. So we <laughs> were by the zoo people that cheetahs actually will run they won't they won't attack if they they'll just run away run. they'll just run away so... i mean isn't that their thing that they're super fast and running away <laughs> and chasing things anyway yeah but then that, that does not make them an apex predator so like personally i actually liked that she turned into a cheetah because i love watching big cats fight i think it's very majestic <laughs> so and you know and this got them to sort of have that kind of like, you know, a look to the fight scene, which I liked, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I... I, I... <laughs> and then the two franchises could have merged. <laughs> so, can I... Okay. Can I... So, I have... Over the last two nights, I've been thinking about this film, but I actually think... And I know that this is kind of like, just... It's completely useless, right? But... Things that I think, simple things that this film could have done to basically write itself, right? To make it a more coherent film. So, I kind of want to raise them and see if you kind of agree or not, right? So, firstly, I think that Gerald is right in terms of this, the Max Lord thing. It makes no sense why he goes absolutely batshit insane, right? Like, um... His motivations are super unclear. So, and then in the film, there's the scene where Diana goes to visit that guy who has the book, who just randomly pops out of nowhere. Was that guy in a previous Wonder Woman film or something? I, I don't know. No, he wasn't. And like, he's 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 meant to be the descendant of Mayans, but he's quite clearly like Indian. Yeah, it's bizarre. <laughs> I was like, what? Anyway. So, in this scene, they establish that the stone is, like, some aspect of the God of Lies or something like that. I didn't 100% catch it. It made no difference to the film anyway. So, okay. So, my thing was kind of, okay, if you're going to establish that this stone is kind of some divine thing and Wonder Woman's shtick is beating down gods, right? Why don't you have the God, basically, an aspect... the 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 stone actually contains part of this god, right? This god has significantly uh, diminished villain. now. And he, this god is the villain. And so the Who god possesses... It, when, sorry. I would have watched the third act of the first one. Sorry? <laughs> yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, yeah, but it, it, it's like, it is similar, but it's kind of like that trope of, well, one of them beats our god. So the god is the villain. And when Maxwell makes this thing of, like... I want to be the stone. The god uses it as an opportunity to possess him. And that would make more sense when he starts going on the complete world domination and he kind of basically starts... He starts basically doing stuff to, like, 
troll the world essentially, right? Because you know, like he starts going. Does, does what you want in essence then is for Maxwell Lord to be the Rick Moranis character in the first Ghostbusters movie. Yeah, and, and it's kind of like so. Then at the end, at the climax of the film, instead of Diana like doing this dumb communication to every individual on the earth. She communicates to Maxwell Lord directly, right? She uses the lasso of truth to communicate with Maxwell Lord directly. And Maxwell Lord, the human, not the evil god, is made to see the error of his ways and made to recognize that, you know, his selfless love for his son is more important than selfish, his own selfish desires, right? And in that instance, Maxwell Lord can make the decision. And Diana wins not by beating someone up, but by making someone kind of compassionately see the truth, which is kind of what this thing that she's been doing for the entirety of the film, not killing people and using the lasso, has been about, right? And then, basically, Maxwell Lord, in renouncing his wish, time basically gets reset to before he makes that wish. Because if you think about the outcome of this film... The world is in a shambles. Like, just because he renounces his wish, like, things have already fallen apart, right? The Soviet Union basically declared war on the US. Like, it was... So, I, I kind of feel like doing something like that and having the time go back, like, the stone go back in time would have actually, like, a lot of the craziness and escalation of the end of the film would have been sort of, like, I guess, mitigated if you had this crazy god that was kind of manipulating things, which was why things were getting so crazily out of control. And then the um, the triumph of the film is kind of like the triumph of selfless human love over this sort of primal selfish desire, right? I think that would have been... Anyway, that would... And, and Barbara would have re- um, remained as a, a villain for next time. Yes. So then you wind it back, and basically Barbara made her wish before Maxwell became the stone. So then you also retain a villain, right? Um, I also think, actually, that like one of the things that I think is a huge miss in this film is that the scene, the fight scene between Cheetah and Wonder Woman not only do I think it's, like, really dumb because of the Asteria armor and it's, like, pretty bad CG and everything, but, like, they just have fisticuffs, right? It's an emotionally, for me, it's an emotionally unsatisfying scene because, like, these these women have basically a fundamental philosophical conflict, right? Which is that, like, Barbara is someone who basically feels like she's been downtrodden all her life and all of a sudden she has power, right? And um, she's basically going to use that power to show everyone how strong she is, right? She's going to have no remorse and no mercy and everyone who who crossed her, she's going to show them who's boss. While Diana is someone who has lived with power for a long period of time. And basically, it comes back to the theme, the original, the theme at the beginning of the film, which is, okay, like, you sometimes have to earn these things, right? Like, Diana is someone who has learnt to live with her power, to use her power responsibly, right? She has earned her place as a hero through her actions, right? So, like... They can fight each other to a standstill, but the triumph of Diana should actually be this, like, it should be a triumph of conviction and a philosophical triumph over 
cheat her rather than a physical triumph over her. That she's a- actually ma- able to make Cheetah see that, you know, using your power basically to get back at people or, like, to feel powerful in and of itself is a horrible misuse of power, right? Like, I think that would be a much more emotionally satisfying ending. And more than that, it, like, if Diana is able, to, should actually also be able to beat Cheetah because she has trained more. She's, like had to live with these powers for so much longer, she should be able to use them more, right? So that then goes back to that theme at the beginning of the film, which is actually, like, she didn't take a shortcut, and because she didn't take a shortcut as Wonder Woman, even when someone else has been given the same exact power as her, she's able to beat her because of her experience and her training and her conviction, right? Like, for me, this is why, like, this is such a frustrating film for me, right? Because I look at this film and I'm like, you know, there's things in this film that could have made this into actually a pretty satisfying film. But for whatever reason, these choices, like, bizarre plot choices were made to basically give us this weird, incoherent mess. Now, look, I I don't know if you kind of agree (laughs) with me or not, but... I think you're spot on with what you said about Cheetah. Like, all her training and the fact that she's lived these powers and, you know, all her experience should have counted for enough for her to beat Cheetah. Um, um, so, yes, I think you're spot on with that. I think they just didn't want Cheetah. I think they're saving Cheetah for potential future movies because she doesn't renounce her wish. We don't see that Cheetah... Sorry. We don't see that Cheetah form being taken away yet. So I think they're saving her. But, you know, I think you're spot on about that. But with the um, going back to normal thing, I actually don't like with a lot of movies, basically humans uh, stuff things up and then it resolves by the mistake being undone somehow, you know, like the everything goes back to normal. And I actually don't think that's the best message in general. Like, you don't get to just make all the wrong decisions and then not live out the consequences of those decisions. So in that sense, I actually prefer that the world had to sort of, was still kind of left a little bit in chaos, um, if to the extent that it was, because to be honest, the movie ended and it seemed like the world had actually gone right back to the way it was, even though all of these events had actually occurred. So I don't think the events should be erased. And it's annoying in movies how nobody, you know, in these types of movies, people don't have any consequences because everything is just undone. And I don't think we need that necessarily. We can, what would be better is learning to to live with the consequences of what we've done and rebuild or whatever. But but in this movie, the way it ends, it has that hallmark ending, you know, where Diana steps out in the snow and she sees the body of the guy who was, um, uh, what's his name? Steve. Steve, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then they have that nice little moment and it doesn't look like the world is, you know, has been particularly damaged by what occurred. So that's... But, but that's yeah. what makes it even more incongruous Can we ponder the, eth- the ethics of appropriating this poor bastard's body in order to house... How deeply weird and warped is that? My question is, what did this guy do to warrant the stone taking his body in particular? Did he make some wish that, like... <laughs> I don't know. Exactly. Why that guy? Because <laughs> basically the stone just killed him for no reason. 
Like, and he, where, did, where did he go? Like, where did he go while Steve meet, was in his body? He meet Joe Black, um, uh, the god of death, is it? Death takes um, uh, uh, someone's body. But he takes that body because that person happens to die in that moment that death wants to... That, meet Joe Black is um, Brad Pitt, and he yeah. plays death. Yeah. And he, yeah, and so yeah. he takes the body of someone who just happened to die. So, you know, if this dude was someone who just happened to die... That that kind of makes sense. No, it was a bit strange. It was an unnecessary. He was in perfect plot. health at the end of this film, right? Like that guy <laughs> seemed fine. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, it, it was it was super incongruous for me because, like, the entire world seemed to be in absolute chaos, right? Like, they literally had nuclear weapons being thrown around. So, like. How they could just instantly go back from that to, oh, everything's fine. Like, there's something that is just like, what is going on? Like, the President of the United States got hijacked by this random guy. And then the world just seems to go on, right? Like, how, how is that possible? <laughs> like, in this universe, apparently, because you see kind of what happens in the future of this universe. And the, the future of this universe is... The Superman films, where no one knows about superpowered heroes, and everything seems to just be normal. But in 1984, basically, the world went through this catastrophe where this guy went on TV and granted everyone their wishes. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what? How, how can this universe exist? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, um... Is there anything else we wanted to talk about in relation to this film? No, I'm I think that's Jerry? What do you think about the what do you think about like there's a lot of hate for this movie? Is it appropriate? Too much? I think I think there's too much hatred for this movie. So elucidate Yeah, I think I, I think the internet's forming a bit of a herd. So this movie when when it first came when 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 reviews first came out, it was certified fresh on the Rotten Tomato meter with 88% positive reviews. That has dropped precipitously to 65%. And if you sort of just look at YouTube, look for YouTube reviews of the movie, you'll see a lot of thumbnails and a lot of titles saying this movie's a an unmitigated disaster or a massive flop. There's the, the supposedly the audience response in China was abysmal. Like it, it took in less than half of what was expected in terms of the the the, take, the expected take in China. Um, and audiences have been, you know, sort of. Well, the suggestion is that the audiences are quite hostile to this movie um, in a way that that, that they in a way that they weren't um, with the first. Notwithstanding that, you know, in the first movie. The, the 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 idea of um, Diana Prince as female super, superhero war, superhero warrior was no less was given no less emphasis. So um, yeah, there seems to be this. It seems to be the case that a that, a, that a mob is forming and the pitchforks are out. Some of them some of them are just guys who find who find the movie strangely woke. Some of them are. Uh, sort of Trump people who think that uh, Maxwell Lord is some subtle condemnation of Trump, uh, but there is actually a great deal of disdain for this movie out there. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't look. To be honest, I like look. You guys know me. I'm not a super fan of like ultra wokeness, right? Um, 
But at the same time, I don't really feel like this film was particularly woke. And I don't feel like Maxwell Lord was really a caricature of Trump. Like, yeah, it, it was... I don't know. Yeah. Let me put it this way, right? There are worse superhero films, right? This was not a good film. That. Sorry? If you compare it to, say, Superman or Superman versus Batman... I think Batman vs. Superman was probably a worse film than this. It was no, crazy, death- right? Yeah. No, 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 no. It was yeah. absolutely a worse film. Justice League was a much worse film. Yeah. yeah. Um, Aquaman, Aquaman was in its own was in its own way a worse film than this. I think Aquaman, Aquaman, Aquaman. <laughs> the thing about Aquaman though is it, it it took itself I think less seriously. It was like it was deliberately kind of weird and demented. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it was slightly more fun than this. I think Shazam was much better than this. Yes, yes I so, agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, there are. This is by no means. This was. This was. You know, far from the the, the heights, if heights they be, of the of the DC extended. Universe. Yeah, exactly. But, like, what are people having complaining about? This is the DCEU we're talking about, right? Like, this film. The good films are the outliers, not the bad. Like, the bad film is like the standard, right? Like, what are we talking about? People lost their minds. <laughs> exactly. And so, uh, look, I just think, I just think there's a, there's a. There is now incre- there there is a sort of negative momentum out there, and as a consequence, there is a there is at least in parts of the internet a disproportionately negative response to this film that I'm struggling to understand because there are objectively so many worse films in the in the um, DCEU than this one. Yeah. Uh, Look, it's not a good film. Let, let's be clear. I think we're all agreed this is not a good film, but it is not like the worst film ever made, right? Like, it is not... There are way worse superhero films than this. So, yeah, like, I mean, we've bitched about it, but, like, you know, we we complain about a lot of films, <laughs> right? This, this is not like a 2 out of 10 or wherever it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was not aware there was that much vitriol online. Look, to be fair, I, I try not to watch that many reviews before doing our podcasts. The sense that I got was that this was not a particularly good film, but it wasn't the worst thing ever. So is it really now moving to the consensus is moving to this is like the worst thing ever? I, I think the, the, the consent, not, not that it's the worst thing ever, but it is a, it is a disaster for Warner Brothers. That's, yeah. I think that's the consensus. Now, it may be a disaster for Warner Brothers, but it has nothing, I think, to do with the merits of the film. The, the you know, this movie was the tip of the spear for Warner Brothers' plan to have a lot of its releases over the next 12 months come out on HBO Max as well as in cinemas. And that has completely shaken up the entire movie industry and prompted a whole lot of hatred at Warner Brothers, particularly amongst um, particularly amongst actors and directors. So Christopher Nolan has taken a big dump on Warner Brothers. Um, Denis Villeneuve has taken a big dump on Warner Brothers as well, particularly in the context of the impending release of Dune. Mm. So you've got all this, you've got you've got this confluence of you know big developments occurring in the Warner Brothers um, stable, and this is really the tip of the spear for all that. And it is, I think, for that reason, um, perhaps proving to be more controversial than the merits of the film actually would suggest. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I would agree with that. I think this probably, film probably will be a disaster, but not because it's a horrible film. I, I think it's a disaster because COVID has just basically shaken everything up, 
right? Like, yeah, like people are not going to the cinemas, not necessarily because they don't want to see... Like, I reckon if this had, in normal times, even though this... Look, let's be honest, right? Like, bad films make money all the time. Like, Transformers makes money. Yeah. It's a horrible... Mate, yeah. Aquaman, Aquaman made a billion dollars. Yeah. Like, bad films make money all the time. And this film is bad, but not so bad that it would have precluded people from going to see it. The issue is not the quality of the film. Like, if we're talking about pure monetary terms, the issue is not the quality of the film. The issue is 100% COVID, right? Like, people aren't going to cinemas because everyone's, like, concerned that they're going to... I mean, the numbers in China are are weird. Like, they're just weirdly bad numbers. Um, China is a bizarre market as well, right? Like, you don't know how much of this is, look you know, China playing games with, like, the government playing games with, like, American business, right? So, um, yeah. um, The the numbers out of China was what first set the whole this is an unmitigated disaster for Warner Brothers narrative. Yeah. Um, And the the precipitous drop in the tomato meter sort of reinforced and confirmed that. And so, I think the, 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 the I'm not. I'm not saying that the knives are out for Gal Gadot or Patty Jenkins, and you know, over the last 24 hours, Warner Brothers confirmed that they were fast tracking Wonder Woman three, whatever that means. Really? Uh, oh wow. Okay. <laughs> despite the fact that Gal, Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins are both booked for this upcoming Cleopatra movie next year, so yes, whatever fast tracking means, it doesn't mean something coming out in 2021. Patty Jenkins has also been booked for Rogue Squadron in the Star Wars universe for the year after that. So if the idea is to keep Patty Jenkins on as director, then this movie's not coming out for at least two or three years. Yeah. So I, I, I suspect what Warner Brothers is doing is is expressing confidence in the film and the people behind it yeah. in, in the face of this increasingly negative and hostile reaction in, in, the, in the online press. But, um, yeah, I... I, I, I Look, it would be a, it, it would be a great shame if, because of this movie and the circumstances surrounding its release, um, Warner Brothers was to you know basically put the sword through the entire Wonder Woman franchise. I don't think they'll do that, but it would be a shame if that would happen because the internet decided to gang up on this movie. Because while it's bad, as as we've all noted, it's it's by no means the worst film. The worst superhero film. It's not even the worst film in the DCEU. It's it's you know it, it's so it's bad, but the DCEU itself is so bad that this is one of the best films in the DCEU. <laughs> I, it, one would argue it's the second best film in the DCEU. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hmm. Anyway, so I mean, I guess now we could all look forward to the Snyder Cut and. <laughs> I mean, what a bizarre year it's been, right? That <laughs> we live in a world now where the starter cut is going to be a reality. <laughs> what? The funny thing is, Warner Brothers just has just announced that Zack Snyder will take no more role in the DCEU. So, like, why pander to the fanboys by giving them the Snyder Cut? <laughs> well, I mean, the issue with the Snyder Cut is more, like, what makes them think that the starter cut is going to be that much... Okay, look, the thing with the starter cut is that it will be a more authentic directorial vision, right? But... <laughs> Did people not see Batman vs. Superman? 
<laughs> Am I the only one who saw that film? <laughs> anyway. I was just reflecting on um, what Andrew said about Gal Gadot and how um, she's not a fantastic actress. And I was just thinking, you know, we were re-watching John Wick 3 before we started podcasting. And I, like, Keanu Reeves, let's... I love him. I have a real soft spot for him. And I think whenever I see him in something, I enjoy it. But, like, let's be real. He's not a great actor. But for some reason, I just love watching Keanu Reeves movies. So maybe I just have a high tolerance for, like, people who are just likeable. Good-looking and likeable. Good-looking, likeable, Keanu Reeves... Keanu Reeves might be limited in in, in, in in his range of actorly skills, but you know he's got he's got at least enough versatility to play both in both John Wick and the Bill and Ted movies. Whereas I think I, I'm just not sure if you were to if you were to put um, Gal Gadot in a straight in a straight up comedy, she'd be able to pull it off. Well, yeah. she's she's cast in the Cleopatra film, right? So. We shall see. <laughs> Is she the Keanu, the female Keanu Reeves? Maybe she's the female Keanu Reeves. Who knows? <laughs> okay, guys, thanks for joining me tonight. Um, I think that's pretty much everything we want to say tonight. We've kind of gone on, off on a little bit of a tangent towards the end. But thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on Wonder Woman 1984. Um, yeah, and we'll be back with another film at another point in time, but we haven't decided that yet. So, um, on that note, bye everyone. <laughs> bye. Ciao. Bye. Wait.